What's up, heroes, and welcome to episode 91 of the Producer Life Podcast. Today, I'm excited to introduce Sam Wolf, a breakout techno star from Atlanta. His 2020 debut EP, Triangulum, reached number one on overall Beatport releases, which led to a collaboration with techno legends The Yellowheads. That collab, Hippodrome, then went on to chart number four for Beatport Hype and number 16 on Techno World Top 100, and it received support from some of the top techno artists out there, including Umek. Since then, he's released his debut EP on Christian Smith's imprint, Tronic, which topped the Beatport overall release charts at number one, and received support from Bart Skills, Joyhauser, Lily Palmer, Marco Carolla, and others. In 2021, he signed exclusively with Umex 1605 label, and he's got big plans for 2022. In today's episode, we talk about how he produces driving techno, his favorite plugins, release strategy, Spotify tips, and how he got his first international tour. But first, cue the intro music. All right, Sam, welcome to the Producer Life Podcast. What is going on? Thank you very much for having me, Brian. I appreciate you. You're most welcome. Uh, why don't we kind of start at the beginning? What uh, brought you into the electronic music scene? That's a solid question. God, how was we only have one hour? That's that's like a 10 hour. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll just, I'll just jump right into it. Uh, the first show, so I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, the first show I ever went to was with uh, one of my best friends, Robbie. We went to go see Excision and Datsik back to back in 2009. Okay. At this super grungy club called Bourbon Street. Shout out to all my people in Baltimore who used to go to Bourbon Street. We had uh, Steve Gordon, aka Smash Gordon, who uh, started Circle Talent Agency. I'm sure a lot of bass producers know Circle Talent Agency. I'm pretty sure he sold it to UTA. And they hmm. have a ton of artists, including Marshmallow. So. That right there is an amazing story just about a guy throwing shows in Baltimore who made it big and uh, really just right place, right time, worked his ass off and had a solid payday. But um, yeah, man, I went to see Excision Dad Sick back to back, walked into the club, super grimy, super underground, came out and was just like, holy shit, this is it. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is the future. So um, from there, just really followed kind of like all the trends. Like uh, I remember the first time seeing Porter Robinson at that same club, like right when he came out with that track, Say My Name in 2010. It was a big like Lucky Date Electro guy. Then Soup got super big into trance, big into big room. Then Trap came out, still dubstep, then Tech House. And um, fast forward all the way to 2020 when I really started hitting it big in techno and kind of... Uh, finding my way in that, in that lane. So it's been a long journey. It's been a very long journey. So you had a lot of different influences there from, from dubstep to trap to progressive, a lot of different music that you enjoyed. How did you settle on the sort of dark techno sound that you have now? Definitely. Um, yeah, it's a solid question. So, um, and you'll hear it a lot in my music. You know, I think everybody, I find that like, at least in Atlanta, a lot of the younger crowd you kind of get into dubstep and bass music to start and then you, your taste kind of evolve maybe you give house a try and then once you get a little bit tired of a tech house you kind of look for some a little bit harder and that's where a lot of people drift into techno um but you'll hear it in you know in all my stuff i still like trance i still like dubstep but uh it's just as we kind of age our, our, our taste mature um i uh kind of gave up on DJing and, and, and music production after college to focus on my career. So that actually led me to move to Atlanta where I've been almost seven years now. And um, after moving here was focusing on working and working and working and building my business. And I wouldn't do it any other way, but that entire time I would just spend days daydreaming about DJing back in college uh, back when I threw this one college event every week uh, at a place called Sycamore Deli at Virginia Tech. It's a ton of fun. Hmm. So back in the days when uh, like Galantis and Avicii were really big, yeah, like 2014, 2015, the Prague big room days. And so I was just standing on stage to a packed room, like 150 people every week. 
blasting out that happy stuff. And it was the most amazing feeling ever. And people would say like, Hey, you know, you're, you're pretty good at this. What are you going to do after college? I'm like, nah, it's just a hobby. Plus in the back of my mind, like I've had Ableton since 2010, but I only ever used it to make edits and, uh, and, you know, like minor mixes and, and some, some mashups and stuff. But, um, I was just always telling myself all these bullshit excuses. Like, ah, I can't play the piano and I don't have a intense musical background. So I could never really learn how to produce. And so, um, basically, you know, once I was back in Atlanta focusing on my career, I'd just spend all my time knocking on doors, cold calling cause I'm in sales and I'd be daydreaming about all my experiences back in, uh, Virginia tech and, and playing those shows. And it's just, you know, it's like, God, I miss it. I miss it. I miss it. And then at fast forward, you know, so many years, you just look in the mirror and you're like, all right, I, I'm not happy. You know, there's something is missing. I'm like, all right, I cannot put that aside anymore. Like, I don't care to what degree it is. I need to get back into music and I am done telling myself all these bullshit excuses why I can't pick up production. So, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, how long have you been producing? I mean, technically really, you know, about two and a half years, not, not super long, but the answer is it's been a mental battle since 2010, since I first downloaded Ableton. So um, it's, it's, it's been a long journey and I'm sure that a lot of people can relate because we all go through the exact same thing to one degree or, or another. Okay. And, and I understand we've got a mutual fr- friend with Ronnie Rask, who was on the podcast a couple of episodes ago and that he kind of played a role yeah. in that too. Yeah, no, definitely. So Ronnie, the homie, Ronnie's a G. Uh, so when I first got back into electronic music in Atlanta, it's kind of funny because I was stuck in that big room bubble, like in 2014, 2015. It's almost like, you know, you put something in a time capsule <laughs> and then you dig it up. Uh, so many years later, that was kind of like my musical tastes. So I still thought that, you know, that 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 big room sound was what was really cool and what was in. I'm like, all right, I got to get back into the scene here. And, and then uh, I started rolling with the crew and Ronnie was the main part of that. And uh, they were just like, dude, what are you <laughs> what are you listening to? And then all of a sudden they introduced me to proper techno. And then we started throwing these shows. We booked everyone from um, Anna, the Loco and Jam, Christian Smith whole bunch of great acts brought them to Atlanta and that really opened my eyes to proper techno and my understanding of it. And um, it was also perfect timing because I was taking music production lessons, originally kind of looking to do deep house with uh, my mentor, uh, rebel boy, a guy named Johnny Yono. And he at this exact same time um, had kind of left the trance world to focus on doing techno. So I was learning um, how to produce from someone who, you know, is very good at making techno Plus the crew that I'm rolling with has introduced me to proper techno. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to give this a shot because I felt like I could take all of those experiences that I've had from going to shows, going to so many festivals over the years, all these different genres and all these different cool sounds and pairing them up in my brain and all these things. Like I'm saying that I've just been hearing for a decade plus and really infuse that into my own brand of techno. So, so far it's working out really well. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of how I got back into it, but, but Ronnie's a G. Awesome. Okay. Well, it, it seems like, um, you know, kind of looking at the timeline the last really 18 months to two years is when you've really started popping off. And, uh, uh, if you had to narrow that down to a couple of, a couple of different factors, what really changed in the last two years? Well, it's so the first year of putting my head down and deciding, okay, like I'm going, we're all going to die at some point in time. So would I rather die and be like, all right, I just never really went for it in music production or I'd rather lay my head, you know, on my deathbed or whatever and just be like, Hey, I went for it, whether it popped off or it didn't, doesn't matter because at least I just did something that I wanted to do. So once I made that decision of like, all right, like the time is going to pass. So it doesn't matter if it takes five, 10, 15, 20 years, I want to learn how to produce music. I've always wanted to learn how to do it. So when I made that decision, I was uh, practicing and learning and uh, taking classes with um, with Rebel Boy, doing Deep House and whatnot. Um, I really just started to build up kind of like a catalog of tracks that weren't finished. They weren't that good, but I had a whole bunch of ideas. And then once I got to a point of getting signed to Reload, um, I realized that the music was definitely good enough to be accepted and put online. So from there, I just kind of um, put my foot on the gas and just worked on building relationships, um, marketing myself, 
growing the brand, growing my team. And um, it's just been a continuous kind of snowball. It wasn't really one thing in particular. Um, you know, I could talk about getting signed with 1605 exclusively or, you know, my first collab with the Yellowheads and then getting us on Senso Sounds. And um, like all these things were just kind of building to create this. Okay, like I take myself seriously. I'm making this music because um, I'm making this music and, you know, I'm serious about making it. And I'm kind of putting that persona out to the world. Like, you know, I want to be a force to be reckoned with. And uh, it's just kind of, again, building that fan base and getting a lot of people to uh, just discover the sound. And I've been really lucky that uh, a lot of people are digging the vibes that I'm putting out. So, yeah, um, maybe so that that EP with uh, Yellowheads, Hippodrome, was that right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. You got um, it. That was that was huge. Um, that that charted what top top 10, top 20 on on Beatport. Yeah, it was really cool because I didn't really understand the importance of, um, you know, having your songs chart really high on Beatport. But in techno, I'm sure in every genre, but especially in techno, um, the Beatport charts are something that a lot of labels and people pay attention to. So you want to make music that people are buying on Beatport because that, you know, is about where 80% of the sales come from for labels. That's at least what I've been told by Umek and several others, TrackSource and all the other channels or that, you know, other 20%. So it was interesting because collabing with the Yellowheads, um, they really demonstrated or showed me how important it was. And they had a whole marketing strategy on, all right, we're going to promote it here. We're going to talk to these blogs to make sure that they post about it. And then we're going to do a push over here and we're going to have this YouTube channel premiere it. And that was kind of like my first foray into um, really trying to push a track to make sure that um, other DJs want to download it. Because at the end of the day, techno really is club music. So you're kind of appealing to other DJs first and foremost. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, it was a really, it was a really cool experience. Can, so that, that sounds really interesting to me. Can you talk more about sort of the release strategy there and, and some of the things that you were doing that obviously worked so well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, everybody has different philosophies on how to push music. Um, but the way I think about it, is I take a really, really long time to finish a song. So if I took months and months, not continuously, but you know, a couple weeks working on it, then I'll do something else in another couple weeks. And then you think it's done and then it's not. And then a couple another weeks, it's been months to make this track. Some songs took me over a year. Uh, you don't just want to put it online and then just cross your fingers, you know? So I tried everything from like, there are like meme pages where I'll blast out these meme pages and be like, Hey, you know, will you repost my stuff? Then at the same time, um, I've worked with different PR agencies that then, uh, do blasts out to, they have their own DJ pools and then they have their own blogs and uh, radio stations for airplay. Um, you know, making sure that I have content of me or other DJs playing the tracks so that I can use that to then push that online. Um, all those things, they kind of add up to hopefully having a successful release. Like I remember my first one, like I, <laughs> I had some people in like the shuffle community, like do some shuffling bids to it. I, mm-hmm. I enjoyed them. I thought it was sick and uh, just everything, you know what I'm saying? Swing for the fences because if you're putting this much heart and soul, and I, I know that any producer listening to this knows the feeling of I have worked so hard on this track. The last thing you want to do is to just put it online and have it just flop. So um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear you say that because I know sort of the flip side of the coin that I hear a lot is you have to re- release regularly because the algorithms want to see that. And and certainly yeah, the advice that I've been hearing from a lot of places is you should be releasing singles monthly. And I, I know for myself and it sounds like you as well, you know, there, there's producers out there that really like to take their time and, and wind up kind of agonizing over the track before it's done. And so releasing monthly is really hard. Well, it, it, in an ideal world, uh, you definitely do because that algorithm is extremely important. And so we're specifically talking about Spotify here because Spotify is the number one uh, music discovery platform these days. I mean, other than potentially YouTube. But so if you want to play the Spotify algorithm, you know, you just have to think, okay, what does Spotify want? Spotify wants you to be a good contributor to it. And so it wants you to update your profile picture, keep your artist pick current and keep uploading music at the same time um, your most likely chance of getting a song to, I guess, blow up 
would be an editorial playlist. So mm-hmm. considering that they want you to put those about four weeks in advance, um, there's the single once every month. It doesn't really make sense to have a 10-track album and then do that one time a year anymore because you're not feeding into the algorithm. But at the same time, I would definitely argue that uh, quality is going to be way more important over quantity. So in an ideal world, yes, you want a back catalog of a lot of ideas. And if you can do at least one EP um, every two months um, or at least one a quarter, um, then, you know, it's it's important to, to, to look at all sides of it. But you don't want to be putting out garbage because at the end of the day, like what I've noticed in my own songs and with a lot of other producers, you'll get to a point where definitely the song is ready to go. But if you just put it on the back burner and you chill on it for two, three, four weeks, you work on another idea and then you come back, you can add all that extra icing and all the finishes onto the cake that take it from, okay, this is a track to damn, like this is a track, like this is a borderline (laughs) masterpiece. Like, because the only difference between the good producers and this is just my opinion, but the good producers and the average producers is that the good producers will take the time to intricately automate every fine detail and add little pieces here and there, even if it's just into the extended intro and outro of the mix. Um, It's those little tiny automations where you want the note to just be a little bit more open here. And you want this to have the decay just a little bit tighter there. And then you want to detune it a little bit for a little bit of intensity and all those minor tweaks are what will really make you sound pro. It's just rolling your sleeves up and doing the work that will distinguish you from the average producer. That takes time. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was really interested. I watched your um, Zen world uh, tutorial. I was mentioning that the one nice. or the talk yeah. that you gave on Zen world last month, actually, where you mm-hmm. broke down prison break and uh, it was it was fascinating. I was really interested in, in the amount of automation, the amount of layering that you do. Uh, I, I'll definitely link that in the show notes. Um, one question I had as, as I was watching it, I, I saw mm-hmm. you use uh, LFO tool, which, of course, is, is a great tool for ducking and creating interesting effects, mm-hmm. uh, gating effects. But then you also mentioned later in the video that you really love Gatekeeper, which I have not used, but from the page, it looks like they're very similar. Can you kind of talk about how you use one versus yeah, the other? Definitely. So LFO is just my preferred side chaining tool. I know some people use like Kick Shaper and the old school way of just, you know, Ableton stock compressor and ducking it to, you know, a ghost kick or whatever. But um, yeah, no, LFO tools is, is what I'll use to just duck everything because, you know, everything for the most part, if there's a kick, we want to always create space and, and duck and get it out of the way. Gatekeeper is just a really fancy, uh, user-friendly um, uh, gator. I mean, that's that's really it. And it also can, does a whole bunch of things with panning and whatnot, too. But um, I've been trying to think of ways to sound different um, a lot the past several months. And I'll be the first to admit it. Um, writing melodies for me is definitely my weakest. So what I've been trying to do is um, come up with cool, intricate sounds that are creating a lot of movement and have a, a lot of uh, its own tonality um, and figuring out ways to make really cool sounds, dark, angry sounds, um, kind of replace a melody. Um, you always are going to need a melody, especially during the breakdown. But so Gatekeeper has been a really cool tool for that. So um, in a lot of bass music and dubstep packs, you can find some really gnarly bass sounds. Um, they sound really EDM-ish though. So you want to make sure that you, you treat them really well and take a lot of the, the digital twanginess, uh, out of the high end on them. And I, I talk about using that plug in RC retro color 20 a whole lot, which has been a game changer for me for making things sound a whole lot more analog and warm, but uh, gatekeepers sick because I'll just take something and put it into uh, a cool little rhythm. And a lot of times I'll reverse it and, so it'll just, you know, be like boom, 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 boom. And then when you throw a gatekeeper on there, you can just get some really cool patterns out of it. And then I'll take and resample the patterns that I find very pleasing to the ear. And then I'll make a brand new pattern out of my collection of all these pleasing patterns. So it's really just like taking something that's like cool, making it cooler, and then just making it even more and more unique and just through a whole bunch of resampling. And that's uh, what Gatekeeper has has done. There's another one. I'm blanking on the name. I'll pull up Ableton while we're on here and figure it out that I can recommend. 
um, that I just downloaded. That's uh, that's sick too. But but yeah, no, Gatekeeper's been awesome. Okay. Um, what if if you bumped into somebody on an elevator and they said, "Well, okay, you're a musician. What what sort of music do you make? How would you characterize your sound?" Yeah, I mean, you can just go by the beatport charts, peak time, peak time, driving or driving, driving techno, dark, driving dark techno, exactly. Driving dark techno, okay. Driving dark techno, but you know, I, honestly, so what I really want uh, to be, and Prison Break was kind of my uh, tippy toe into this vision that I have. I feel like not many people are doing kind of dark, sexy vocals, but not cheesy. That's the hard thing. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. It's hard not to be cheesy, but dark and sexy combined with dark techno. So I really want to start incorporating a lot more dark, sexy vocals into my techno so that uh, no one's really doing it. And I feel like that would just be really cool. So that was kind of my, my foray with uh, with Prison Break. I have a couple more behind it. So that's, you'll be hearing a lot more vocals in, in all my songs next year. Yeah, it's a cool, cool vocal hook. I'm, I'm stuck on you like cancer, baby, cancer like baby. your mind. Yeah. You can't escape me. It's, <laughs> um, you know, it's it's sexy. It's dark. It's a little depressing, but a little exciting at the same time. <laughs> so. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, by the way, just uh, that other plugin I just looked up, it's called Tantra 2. Uh, you can get it through Plugin Alliance. So Plugin Alliance is dope. It's like $10 a month. Um, Tantra 2. This one's sick. It's like Gatekeeper, but a little bit different. So I don't have anything uh, finalized yet, but I'm working on a couple where I'll throw a, geek, a gatekeeper on plus a Tantra. And then we're just getting even weirder. So that would definitely be my, uh, my recommendation for T-A-N-T-R-A. Yeah. Tantra too. I, th- I, I think a lot of melodic techno guys use it. Um, it's okay. sick. It's sick though. All right. When you were talking, when we, yeah, when you were talking to Zen world, you talked about mm-hmm. starting off, uh, you really begin with the, kick and the baseline the mid bass i thought that was interesting so it's not really a baseline per se but you're focused on the mid bass and the kick and sort of how those interplay and making sure that you enjoy listening to it over and over and over and over um Mm -hmm. from do you have a process for doing that do you play on a keyboard do you uh draw the midi notes do you how how do you find that baseline that's so addictive so yes Solid question. So anytime I'm starting off, a lot of times, um, to be honest, I'm pretty lazy. So I'll just bring a existing kick in. But uh, it's good to definitely remake the rumble, especially if the key is different. Um, so I'll get the, the, the kick and the rumble going. Uh, but then from there, yeah, I mean, the mid bass really kind of determines what kind of groove you're going to have in the track. A lot of the times you'll hear in techno, like most important thing is if you have a rolling bass, to just make sure that you're playing with the velocity a little bit. So instead of just like almost like Psytrance, where it's pretty, mm-hmm. you know, can be stagnant or whatnot, just to give it like a, a lot of nice movement because it gives uh, the groove to the track. But uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I'll literally just kind of tap out a mid bass and just get something going. And then from there, uh, when you have space with wherever your mid bass is, it gives you room to throw things like a kick tom or whatever to fill that. And just get like a nice groove going. Um, but at the end of the day, it is driving techno. I know that a lot of people do the groovy stuff. but So you want to make sure that uh, as you're listening to it, it's not like killing your flow if you were to be on the dance floor. Like I, I have a standing desk. So a lot of times I'll raise it and then I'll just like close my eyes and pretend like, all right, I'm on the dance floor. I'm dancing to this. Do I ever stop? Or can I keep bouncing up and down? Can I keep bouncing up and down? That's the foundation is, does this beat keep me bouncing? Okay, then we can move on. If the beat makes you jerk or pause, or like a lot of times people will like double up their kicks and in uh, not the best way. And if you're like doubling your kicks, um, then uh, and it kind of you know jerks your 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 movement around where you're like, oh, it, what just happened? Then in my opinion, that's the incorrect way because you just want to keep the flow going. Because at the end of the day, you know this is music that's made to be danced to, um, not just you know listened to in a bedroom. So. Um, that's, that's kind of the philosophy for starting out. Okay. Well, I, I will definitely link that video in the show notes. So I, I was interesting. I was interested. I was listening, reading one of your interviews recently, and you talked about, mm-hmm. uh, social media being 50% of the success as a musician with the other 25% being 
you know, can you DJ and uh, the other 25% being the music itself. Um, that's a huge portion yeah, of your that you're attributing <laughs> to social media. So that, can, can you talk about yeah. that? Yeah, definitely. So that's actually a, uh, something that uh, Umek um, has says publicly and has said to me. So I, I think I said that Umek said that in that interview, but anyway, so I, I ripped that from, from Umek. That's his comment. And um, I totally get kind of what he's saying. And I think that social media is kind of a catch-all umbrella term for being able to make connections with fans and your audience through the internet. So whether that's Instagram, Facebook, whatever the platform is that you're using, that's how I would describe social media. Because at the end of the day, the only difference between you and the artists that you know you love and are, are big time or whatever is that those artists have figured out a way to make more connections with more fans than you. That's the only difference. So the music is the major key to making those connections. You put the music out. The music is the tool because it's coming from you. You know what I'm saying? Like um, it's really hard. It's, it's, it's interesting because as I like collab with more and more people um, and I just kind of do what I think is cool you realize that your music is really like your fingerprint. It is, it's going to sound like you if you're, if it's coming from you. So it, your music is uniquely going to be you as long as you just kind of let yourself be creative and, and let that flow come out. So bringing it back, the music is part of your way to connect with fans because you're putting a piece of yourself out there. And then people are like, okay, do I like the music? I hope that you like the music because I love the music. I listen to my music more than anybody listens to it. You can ask my buddy, Brian, who I train with. It's like <laughs> every single time he's probably sick of it. I always have a set or a new track I'm working on playing in the background. Um, so, <laughs> so anyway, um, not to get on a tangent, but uh, the um, social media is again, just an avenue for you to make more of those connections and for people to see who you are and what you're about. Because, you know, the music is one thing and then people are going to appreciate you as an artist, but then they're also hopefully going to appreciate you as a human being and kind of what you stand for and what you're about. And if you want to be entertaining, some people want to be like a meme guy. If you want to do memes and entertain people and bring joy into people's life in that way, then that's a great way to do it. I personally love um, like trying to help people as much as possible. So like I'm always in my DMs and I talk to all different producers all the time and I try and give feedback i'm giving feedback on tracks and a lot of times i get like wow like no one you know most people just listen to my song and they're like that's cool or hey yeah it sounds good and i'll just go in and i'll be brutally honest and and it really helps people grow and i get a lot of satisfaction out of stuff like that so that's my way of using social media to um, make more of a connection with, with with fans and friends and then hopefully you know those fans and friends will be like hey this dude he makes cool music and he's helpful and he's just a real dude and then they'll go talk about me to their friends. And it's kind of how you create the snowball effect. But, you know, that is a great segue into the amount of work that you need to put in to really grow your fan base in your own niche. Because you want to find your own niche in your micro genre. So for me, it would be peak time driving techno and just get in with that community, with other producers, with fans, other DJs, people that are playing your music and just be in the community so that people know about you and you're helpful and you're adding to the community. And that's really how you grow a fan base um, from the ground up. So just to circle back to your question on social media, that's, that's how you can use it as a tool. So for me, Instagram would be the, uh, the tool of choice to spend way too much time in my DMs. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've got, you've got some great content up there. I'm looking at right now and uh, yeah. 16,000 followers. You've got another 10,000 on Facebook. So yeah, so so for that, um, one thing that has helped a lot. So okay, so going back to social media, like kind of like my philosophy on it is that everybody's social media, whether it's your personal Facebook or your business Instagram, it's almost like a micro reality TV channel where if P Facebook is super addicting because it's like reality TV where you you know vaguely or or you know these people. And some people post a lot of their drama on there and you get a little snippet of it. And it's like reality TV with people that, you know, so it's almost like we're all hosting our own micro TV channel. So my philosophy is, all right, well, what do I want my TV channel to be about? I want my TV channel to be about, you know, almost like this story about me 
Um, I'm just a normal guy. I really love electronic music. I love the techno that I'm making. And I want to show people that you can be a normal average guy and live out, you know, your dream of being a touring DJ musician. And you don't need, you know, some crazy backroom deal with a major record label. You can do it all on your own with a lot of hard work and persistence. And so that's kind of how I, I aim my, my TV channel to, to the, the story behind it. And on top of that, too, because I take it very seriously, I want my TV channel to be shot in 4K HD. So I make sure that, you know, as whenever I can, I have like a really good camera guy come. Um, shout out to my camera guy, Spicy Nick May. Um, uh, you know, I, I want to make sure that if you're watching me, that it's like watching one of those Netflix shows that's shot in super high quality, not like it's on a potato camera phone. So um, it's just these little things that, you know, it's that, that, that you kind of take the extra step and then people see you as a more serious thing because you're taking yourself that much more serious and you're thinking about these minute little details that other people aren't thinking about. Um, and then on top of that, for growing my fans uh, or my followers, rather, um, playing shows is a huge way to do it, like going to Turkey and going to Lebanon, um, that, you know, meeting all those people. That was crazy for getting new followers, but, um, I run Instagram story ads a whole bunch, especially around like a new release. And I'll do the swipe up, um, to like my Spotify playlist, which is how I've grown that. Um, okay. and so Instagram story ads are like very, very, very helpful. And there's a company called ToneDen.io, mm-hmm. which was, I was doing it on my own using ToneDen. All it is is Instagram story or Facebook ads for dummies. They have it, they make it super simple. Uh, you can do it for $5 a day to kind of get the word out. I definitely recommend that for anyone who's interested in it. Uh, but since then, I've kind of met up with a team of guys who run um, that T and Techno uh, uh, business page. I had a release out on their label, uh, T minus records. So they're an intricate part of my team because they run the vast majority of my ads. and That kind of helps grow the Instagram too. So. Okay. So yeah, so there's, using- there's, there's the crash course. <laughs> yeah. All right. So hey, uh, you do use some paid traffic to a playlist Definitely. on Spotify that, that incorporate, is it all your music or is it a variety of techno music? It's yeah, no. So my playlist is uh, it's, it's the vast majority. I don't know. There's like 50 tracks on there. Then like 20 of them are mine, but, okay. uh, but yeah, no things that I'll pay uh, traffic for or, or whatnot uh, behind a release. I'll run Instagram story ads. Um, and then I have a guy who will do some playlist pitching for me to help get me on some, some solid playlists and whatnot. And you want to be careful though, because a lot of them are fake and a lot of them are botted and um, you want to make sure that's quality because I ran into in the beginning, some fake stuff and just avoid that. A lot of people are there to scam you and take your money. Um, your band on Spotify. Yeah, exactly. 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 So, I mean, literally it's uh, there's that one website I'm blanking on the name um, submit hub. You ever heard of submit hub? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can kind of buy credits and then they'll submit yeah. uh, to various blogs and whatnot. Exactly, exactly. So SubmitHub is a way that you can do that on your own. But then there are guys out there that basically have their own connections where they, they trade. So they have a big playlist that they built up and then they have other people that have big playlists. They're like, OK, like I'll put you on mine. If you, you know what I'm saying? If you want to make sure that they're geared like if I'm making hard techno, you don't want to end up on chill lo-fi hip hop or some crap like that. Just to keep your numbers. <laughs> um so anyway, uh, yes, when it comes to release, there are a lot of avenues that I'll have a budget ready to help get the music out there. And, um, you know, I've spoken to several different people uh, and I've heard different opinions on it. Um, you know, in my opinion is just that, like, it's probably not the uh, maybe my 60 year old self might not thank me. But for right now, I, uh, I definitely I don't really care. Some people have a 401k. And I would rather take some out of my paycheck and put it aside into pushing my music and, and building a dream and a business. So um, I make sure that uh, that I have my money right before, um, you know, uh, any kind of a release, because it, it comes back to that, that 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 comment that I made in the beginning of like, how much is my time worth? Well, I spent so many months making this song. Why would I want to put it out and just have it flop? I want to make sure that I have a budget and I can explore all these avenues. Like I've definitely learned that. Some places are a lot better bang for your buck than others, but um, it's really important to have a budget um, of some kind to put behind pushing out a release because it's just it's just how it works. You know, you need a little bit of, of paid traffic in order to um, or, or some kind of content, whether it's just like a really nice video 
maybe you have a guy that's a, a, a really good videographer that you can trade favors with, but um, it's just important to, to not just think that uh, the music on its own is going to catch wind. You, you really need to do some kind of a spark to help put it out there um, and, and have it perform as, as good as it can perform since you spent so much human equity uh, sweat capital or whatever <laughs> uh, into building that track. You want to make sure that you, you back it up with the appropriate means. Okay. So all of this seems to be between the paid traffic, all the releases, um, your social media efforts, all of it really seems to be paying off over the last year or so. And, and of course you alluded to your first international tour. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you, man. Um, it was awesome. How, tell me about how that occurred and, and what it was like going to Turkey and Lebanon in dude, November. It was, it, dude, it was, yeah, it was crazy, man. Cause like, again, going back to what we were talking about, about, um, you know, building your own brand and doing it all on your own without some kind of crazy backdoor deal. Like everything that I've done, I've built completely on my own. Um, I met my advertising people on my own, the creative agency guys that uh, did my whole branding. I met them in Tulum and then we worked out a deal from there. Uh, my manager, who's one of my best friends, who's guided me, my video guy, photography, friends, you know, all these people and these connections. Um, you know, it's just something that I've kind of built up on my own. And so getting all my gigs, they've all come through Instagram, which is insane. So hmm. just through, just through Instagram, I've gotten to go all around the United States. Um, so, uh, and it's literally just, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. So Turkey and Lebanon, uh, was literally a DM from these guys. Shout out to my boys over at Rayvon Cara. Um, they hit me up and they said, Hey, <laughs> We didn't know where to contact your management because I didn't have it listed on anywhere on my <laughs> social media or my SoundCloud. They're like, so we're just hitting you up here. They're like, how do you want to come to Turkey? And I've gotten a bunch of messages like, oh, you should come play my club in XYZ country. And you kind of vet them. They're fake. And I was like, hmm, because I know I have a very big following in Turkey. Um, that's just where a lot of the ads kind of hit. And I think it's like my number two country as far as Instagram followers. So, um, yeah, I just started talking to these guys. Super cool. And they set up a tour for me. Um, in uh, Eskisi here, this place called Club 2020, which was insane, uh, so much fun, and then also in Istanbul on Halloween. So I had a three night run there, and while I was there, I said, "Hey, I'm going to be in Turkey. Lebanon has been such a supportive country for my music from day one, and I made so many connections and friends again through Instagram. Um, starting off with my my homeboy creature, who I have a collab out. We named it Lebanon because I was like, oh, this seems like an amazing country. I want to visit one day." And they love dark techno. So then I hit up all my friends that I've just made um, over the internet. And I was like, yo, I'm going to be in Turkey. I'm flying all the way out there. I'm getting paid to do it. Let's make Lebanon happen. And then we got a two gig uh, um, run while we were out there. I guess three, if you count the the crazy after party we went to on a mountaintop that started at noon and went until midnight the next day. Oh, wow. And, uh, and yeah. did you play? Did you you know take a generator up there? Or- <laughs> yeah, no, it was, I was sick. It was at a place that... Uh, it was like a, almost like a resort where people do weddings. Um, and it was absolutely beautiful. It was like one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had. So the club got out at, uh, I guess we'll fast forward to the end. The club got out at, uh, at seven o'clock and the sun rises and sets very early in Lebanon. So seven o'clock, boom, walk out the dark club, super bright. You're right there on the coast. You're on the beach. Like, holy shit, Lebanon's amazing. We went, took a disco nap, and then got to the after party around 2 p.m. And I played from like four to eight or something like that. And it was just an insane amount of fun, just so much fun. So um, just on that note, uh, I have a mini tour coming up, Um, Denver, Oklahoma City, Austin, Greenville, South Carolina, Charlotte, Chattanooga, and then just locked in Mexico. I'm playing Hermosillo, Mexico. Um, And then I have Argentina, Chile, and Uruguay, like right on the horizons, all through Instagram. And just through making connections with other DJs and people that are like, hey, this guy, I like his music. Uh, he's got fans over here. I want to bring him and just working out a deal. So, so is, it's, that, it's, mm-hmm. is it usually people reaching out to you or are you doing some reaching out saying, hey, I've always wanted to go to Mexico. I think I'm going to reach out to some clubs there that play t- techno. So I've kind of just been keeping t- uh, touch with um, fans and friends and other DJs. And just doing the whole thing of like, you know, hey, send me a song. Cool. Just shooting the shit, whatever. And um, I've just had several contacts over time be like, hey, like it's finally time. Like we've been we've been friends for the past six, seven, eight months, whatever the amount of time is. Like I'm ready to bring you because, you know, they see 
the brand is growing and all this other stuff. And so it's, uh, it's people reaching out to me, but these are people that, you know, I've had these connections with for months, maybe even a year at this point in time. And, um, yeah, man, it's, it's cool. It's really just friends helping out friends. And, and, um, the cool thing is, is that I've been able to give back to, um, some other DJs. Like I just pulled off a, a two night run with Nakadia, um, who was in the United States and needed some gigs, uh, for this past weekend. So, um, I hit up my brother, Sagiv in, uh, in Miami at domicile on ground zero. We threw a banging show, um, there with her. And then we flew back up to Atlanta and then my hometown heroes, twisted lines through my people. Uh, we threw, uh, what they call night in Berlin. So it's Bergheim themed and uh, everybody gets into it. The dressing is amazing and the, the vibes are immaculate. And even Nakadia and her, her tour manager said like, holy shit, this was very much like Berlin, Germany, the way the crowd was here in Atlanta. So it's cool to be able to like bring people to your neck of the woods and then boom, you put in your city on the map for techno and then it kind of pays back where people bring you to their neck of the woods. And that's one piece of advice I would have for uh, producers listening that I, I personally used to think I used to be like, man, the only thing I need here is like a bomb agency and then. I'm going to be getting pitched next to Armin Van Buren and all these. And you can get that. Don't get me wrong. And I'm sure it's, you know, how you get on all the major festivals, being on a big agency, but you don't need that. You don't need that. And I am proof that you don't need that um, by just, you know, making friends, making connections, making great music. And um, it's hard work, but it can be done. So that would, that's my inspiring story to yeah. anybody here thinking like, man, how do I do this? Easier said than done. It, it it is a lot easier said than done, but you can do it. And that's, that's my message. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And that's encouraging. I, I find myself wondering, it sounds like you've got one foot in the DJ world and you've got one foot still in the corporate world exactly. and you're trying to migrate. <laughs> how, how are you juggling all that with international tours? And yeah, so I, uh, I still do um, run a, uh, a business in sales. Um, I sell packaging and actually it was crazy. The, the footage is going to come out, but while I was in Turkey, um, I actually visited an injection molding and a blow molding plant that makes like plastic jars and bottles that uh, we'll probably be doing some business with. So I literally, <laughs> you know, people say the meme business techno. And so I'm on camera being like, I am the epitome of business techno. Like just having a fun time, fucking whatever. But, <laughs> but, but literally, I, you know, I love it because um, um, one, I don't need to do the music for uh, the music for money, which is really important because um, a guy here in Atlanta named Heroes and Villains, who's been a, uh, sort of a mentor to me from the very beginning. Uh, one thing he said, he was like, dude, if you can avoid relying on music for money as for as long as possible, do it. Because the second that you need the music for money, it changes your relationship to the music. And I was like, you know what? I just got it started getting into this game, but I totally understand what you mean because I'm sitting here talking to you right now. I'm staring at Ableton. This is my happy place. This is my release. So when I put in a long days of work, I'm on, you know, emails with China at night and I'm working, you know, I, I've never put in the phone down between Instagram and emails. It's, it's toxic. I'm sure, but I'm always working. It's like that Gary V kind of like, you know, I'm at work <laughs> everybody, you know, is just sucked in or whatever, but um, uh, it's nonstop work, but I love having my job because my job taught me how to manage a team. And so in what I do without getting into too many specifics, um, I have my account coordinator, my project manager, my warehousing, my facilities manager. I have my fulfillment, my operators. I have my supply chain. I have my client. I have my art director. I have a team of all these people where I'm putting these projects together for companies like Home Depot, Clorox, Apple, and all this stuff. And then literally that five years of grinding it out, um, starting off in Baltimore and then taking the office transfer, which is what brought me to Atlanta, basically having that business mindset on how to work with a team, how to be a team leader has helped me excel in the music space so much more because you cannot do this thing alone. You need a team. And so I kind of touched on it before, but my team consists of everyone now I have my manager, I have an agent, I have a creative agency who helps with like branding and whatnot. I have ads guys that do ads. Um, I have a press shot photo guy. I have um, uh, at the club photographer. I have my videographer. You're dealing with the label. 
you're dealing with people that you're collabing with, you're on a timeline, you have playlist pitching guys, you know what I'm saying? It's all these things that you're corralling and trying to make sure that you're posting enough on social media. Um, you, you can't do it alone. So you need to understand how to build a team and you're, you're only as good as the team that you can build. And part of building that team is getting people to believe in you and to believe in the music that you're putting out because, you know, from the music, any, any profit that I make, I'm immediately reinvesting it back in to, um, you know, running advertisements or whatever it is. So if I go and I do a gig and I get a thousand bucks or a couple thousand dollars or whatever it is, that is going into, I don't even look at that as a paycheck. I look at that as capital to reinvest back in. So as an example, um, you know, I mentioned this little mini tour I'm doing domestic. Um, I have uh, an advertising strategy where I want to take all the profit that I make from the shows and put that into ads, pushing the shows before I even get there, you know, a month or two in advance, because it's a double whammy. Number one, it's way more important to me to get to play for as many people as possible when I'm in that city and have a strong debut. Number two, it also helps grow the Instagram because I'm going to run swipe up, you know, Instagram uh, stories to the event, but it's coming off my Instagram page. So people will be like, who the hell is this Sam Wolf guy? Maybe click. Um so, you know, just just like that's the way I look at it. And, and, and I am in a very fortunate position to be able to say this because not a lot of people, you know, um, don't need that money. But I keep my work life and my music life separate. And that way I, I look at the music business almost like I'm a startup and I'm taking this investor capital to, to kind of I'd rather grow it faster than than take a payday, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. You're, you're absolutely in bootstrapping mode kicking getting your business started mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that makes sense so do your do the people that you do business with on a day you, you don't like invite them out to the clubs and say hey i'm playing oh, no I, to I totally do no i totally do i totally oh. it's really cool it's really cool because a lot of my uh clients that i work with they knew me before i got into doing the music so um yeah no it's 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 really cool and uh and the cool thing is especially with covid um uh i have um some, some help with on the floor management at my warehouse in Atlanta and my, my fulfillment operation and whatnot. But um, you know, a lot of it is mobile. So even while I was in Turkey, I had an emergency and it was 3 PM and, and whatever, but it was like eight o'clock or 10 o'clock in Turkey. And I'm on a conference call because with, with one of my most important clients and we're solving a problem and it doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? So um, no, no, it's cool. I love to, I love to flex it and, and just say, Hey, this is who I am. And, I make techno music on the side and I also do packaging and it's, it's my life. And, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do, but you know, I'm just, I'm just a guy is really, that's it. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that humility. That's, that's awesome. And that's inspiring as well. So you, you played uh, imagine music festival a couple of years ago, didn't you? Or last year, was it? Yep. 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 And uh, that's a, that's a cool, that's a good question because so for anyone listening that doesn't know what imagine music festival is, imagine music festival is, the homegrown Georgia-based music festival. And I say homegrown in the sense that uh, we did have an event called Shaky Beats here for a little while, but Shaky Beats was um, run by, um, what do you call Live Nation. It was a Live Nation festival. So, you know, obviously big corporation or whatever. So Imagine Festival is run by Iris, who owns the big local dubstep bass music club. And they have other music, but it's mostly bass music called Believe Music Hall. And... Um, you know, I owe them so much other than Subtle and the, the group, you know, my manager, Josh, and, and the group that uh, Ronnie was a part of that I uh, was talking about before, Show Me Techno. I owe Iris. I know they get a lot of hate in, in, in Atlanta for whatever reasons, but they're just, you know, in my opinion, they are just doing their best to, to bring a cool EDM to the city and run a club. But um, I owe them so much because literally they would let me open for – all these like ghastly and AT aliens and all these different dubstep guys and literally just let me bang out techno before opening for these dubstep artists. And the reason that is so important is because, you know, that club is like a thousand people every single time. So I'm getting put on a main stage and getting this amazing content of like, I'm playing my music to a thousand plus people in my hometown and having them, you know, go wild and get loose. And, uh, um, like to be able to then take that and put that on the internet to be like, look, this is how a big crowd is reacting to my music. That is invaluable content that people would would do anything for. 
So the fact that Iris, who literally books no techno, would let me do that, um, they just believed in me. Uh, shout out to Chris Lida for for being the one to always put me on. Um, like literally without that, that was really my, my big break in the city, I guess you could say, one of my big breaks. And um, so so um, by that token, they also put me on Imagine Music Festival, which got canceled this past year. But uh, yeah. looking forward to it uh, next year and future years, you know, moving forward. But yeah, no, Believe Music, super, Believe Music All Iris Presents, very, very, very grateful um, for keeping all the drama or whatever you might want to say about them aside. Uh, they really are stand-up great people. Glenn and Maddie are just doing good stuff for the city, and the city would be uh, a drought of bass music without them. So, you know, you got to be appreciative. <laughs> how, did, how did that connection with Iris Presents happen? Was that just yeah, yeah, that's clubs or? Exactly. That's a really good uh, segue into something that I would give advice for anyone listening. That's like, okay, how do I get booked? So there's two ways to think about it, which is how I think about it. You can think about being a, excuse me, you can think about being a local in your city as kind of like the minor leagues. So, you know what I'm saying? There's nothing wrong. A lot of people love playing baseball and you want to play in the minor leagues and that's totally fine because it's just a hobby. A okay. You know what I'm saying? That sounds amazing. In the minor leagues in your city, if you want to be, you know, the top dog in your city, the most important thing is that a promoter cares about is how many people can I bring? So you got to make sure that you're speaking the same language to the people that are booking you. And the reality is, is that, yeah, they might care about your music a little bit, but it's okay. How many people can I bring? And will they also buy a table if there's table service at the clubs? So you'll have people, you know, locals that have massive followings that clean up, make a great living from throwing parties because they bring a huge crowd that spends a lot of money. And that's an awesome life. And that's what you want to do. So then you can think about breaking out of your city is almost like trying to get into the major leagues and getting into the majors and breaking out of your city is going to be purely reliant on the music that you're putting out and, and growing that fan base based on the music that you produce. So um, while I was before I ever released a record and I was just honing my skills, um, taking all those lessons with Rebel Boy, um, I was also was just probably destroying my liver and my insides and partying my ass off, but making connections and just showing up to all the clubs, all the scenes, making friends with everybody, bringing friends and just being like, yo, I'm here to support. Um, and at the same time, I DJ. So then all of a sudden it was just like, okay. I keep seeing this guy. I keep seeing this guy. It's like, Hey, I want to open and I'll bring friends. And I'll never forget uh, one of my first gigs. We had like a nine o'clock, which is super, you know, early opening spot from like nine to 1030. I brought a crowd of like 30 people and one of them got a table to support. And the feedback I got uh, was like, dude, you're the best opener I've ever had. Nobody does that. And then just like that, you're in with the, you're in with the local promoters. And then that's, how all of a sudden you start getting your feet wet, you get practice DJing, and it's really important to get that practice DJing because when you get cast into the major leagues, um, you know, I'm not going to say that I'm like an amazing DJ. I don't know how to scratch and, and all this stuff, but I do consider myself a very strong performer. I love just putting myself out there and performing for people and playing music. I think I'm pretty good and at least entertaining. <laughs> um and uh, it's really, I, I would not be where I'm at, you know, now that I have these gigs outside if I didn't get all that practice on a local level. So uh, I know I just hit on a whole lot of points there, but yeah, basically you, you can't stay inside and just think that the local promoters are going to come to you. You got to put yourself out there. You got to show up to the events. You got to make friends, shake hands and be supportive and make sure that you're speaking the promoter's language because that's, that's what's important to them. So great question, by the way. Yeah. Awesome. Good. There's so much in this. I'm going to have to go back through and take notes. So, um, <laughs> fan, fantastic. So, so what, what's next for you? What have you got, uh, coming up in 2020? Do you do written goals? Yeah, it does actually. Uh, so I haven't done a written, that's actually not true. That's not true. Um, I'll have to go back. Um, I have an office, but I'm never in it because of COVID. I think I got taken over and I have, I know I have 2017, 2018, 2019. I might have 2020 written goals. It's like in a, in a folder somewhere. And uh, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a huge law of attraction, manifestation believer. That is where I'm at today in business or in music career, whatever. Completely owe to having that mindset that, you know, what you put into the universe is what you're going to get out. 
And you need to be able to see yourself in these positions before you're ever going to get to these levels. One of the biggest things that I've noticed just from working with and talking with and being in the scene with other producers is the big thing. They might have some amazing music, but a big challenge that they have is that they have a limiting belief behind how big or how, you know, like where they actually see themselves. And they, they don't actually, they might say they do, but they don't actually see themselves playing on these big stages and, 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 and really doing it. And for whatever that, that reason is, and that mindset is the main thing holding them back. Um, it's so important that as like you're making these songs, you're imagining what kind of stage do I want to be on? How many people are in front of me? Um, what festival is this? Where am I? that you're playing this music out that you're then producing um, because that uh, it, it totally becomes your reality. That's how I got my imagine festival gig. It's how I got the gig back in college. I was talking about, you got a daydream and just see yourself and you need to, to manifest it and, and, and envision it before it ever is going to become a reality. Okay. So what are you manifesting for 2022? I like that. I like that. That's a good question. So definitely Argentina, definitely Argentina, definitely Chile. Definitely Uruguay. Just need to figure out uh, getting into the countries with certain code restrictions and whatnot. Um, tell you what, I would love to be on the lineup of movement. I would love to see that happen. I, I feel like there's a whole lot that we could bring uh, as far as Atlanta Techno to that festival. And um, definitely going back to Turkey. We want to go back to Turkey. And while I'm there, it would be amazing to make a pit stop in Berlin. So, yep. um, yeah, that would be uh, – that's kind of what I got out there. We'll see what else throws a curveball at me. But on top of that, I want to have a couple, you know, really big releases. And like going back to that comment I made of imagine what kind of stage you see yourself on. Um, I definitely would love to have a very big production. I think Eric Prince being the gold standard of production <laughs> um, behind my song. So it would be cool to get on some festival stages um, that have a bigger production so that these a couple of these tracks I'm working on. Um as the Germans would say, sound mega. They're, they're huge. They're sounding huge. So <laughs> it would be sick to get on some stages that are equivalent to the size of the sound that I'm trying to put out through the speakers. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, stuff like that is, is kind of what I'm thinking about. Are you, um, I imagine, you know, Zexter. Oh, oh yeah. Zen. He's okay. Goat. I love Zen. Yeah. He literally, so we just played, um, Christian Smith, drunken Kong together. Uh-huh. And, uh, he had, I'm sure it's online. He was running like, I think four decks, definitely three. I think he was running four decks. He had one of the craziest opening sets I've heard in a hot minute. My man's absolutely murdered it. Very, very good technical DJ. Um, Definitely go check out Zexter. I think that set's online. It was sick. I was watching it the whole time. And we bought in a uh, a brand new bass boss rig for um, the venue that we played at. So the sound was pristine. He murdered it. But um, anyway, what, what were you saying? Oh, I was just because you were talking about wanting to get to Lebanon. And if I remember correctly, I did an interview with him a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago. And and uh, he I think he's got family in Lebanon. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, if you're if, if you're one of the, the uh, it, it's funny you say that, because one of the mutual connections that we didn't realize who we knew together was uh, my homie Kareem Akayad and uh, Kareem. He's in Dubai. But, um, you know, that was a really cool experience because uh, we're working on a song together. And he makes great music. I totally recommend checking him out, Kareem Al-Kayad. Um, he's on Codex for anybody that's uh, also set about. Um, uh, so he actually flew to Dubai and we went back to back when we were, I'm sorry, he flew from Dubai to Lebanon when I was in Beirut. We went back to back both nights um, at, uh, at both the venues, one of them being Project. And um, yeah, man, that was just a crazy experience where it's like, this is a dude I've been talking to online for a year and a half, two years, he's all the way in Dubai. And then I am all the way in Atlanta, Georgia. And just through the magic of music, uh, we both met in Lebanon. So, but, uh, but anyway, going back to, um, to Zen that, uh, he, he, uh, I know that he's close and he worked on a track with, uh, a remix package with Kareem and they know each other. So that's just a cool connection. Just being yeah. in a circle. Yeah. Small, small world, especially in the yep. uh, techno world, I imagine. Techno world. So, Awesome. All right. Well, you've got new music coming and uh, where can you said Instagram is the best place to find you. Sam Wolf music. Definitely. So I kind of I wouldn't say I'm hot and cold. I'm normally hot and lukewarm when it comes to DMs. 
sometimes I'm just in there, but also it's, uh, and this is not a complaint. This is, I'm extremely grateful for all the messages that I get. Uh, sometimes it can just be overwhelming with, with everything, but I will always answer a message and listen for music feedback and whatnot. So hit me up on Instagram. I love talking and connecting with people on there and, um, yeah, that, and then Spotify, SoundCloud and whatnot. And, uh, hopefully fingers crossed, I'll be in a city near you sometime in 2020. Okay. Well, fast, uh, <laughs> fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Sam. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. This is a lot of fun. My pleasure. That's it for today. I've got a lot of links for you at the show notes page at producerlifepodcast.com. Just look for episode 91. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. That would really help out the podcast. Happy holidays. And until next time, this is the house ninja reminding you to be somebody's hero today. Uh-huh.